This morning I want to spend some time looking at the judgments of God. And I know that it's something that we would rather ignore, but it's still pretty important. <laughs> and so um, I just want to share some thoughts regarding it and um, take a look at what the Scripture says. Psalm 75 says, God who executes judgment, putting one down and then lifting up another. So he takes, he takes control of our lives that way, and he holds an authority over us and exerts himself into our lives in a way that says he has the right to decide what's good and what's bad. He has the right to choose and declare what is truth. And so it's important that we come to terms with that and acknowledge it. Um, early in Genesis, there's at least four different types of judgment that you see. And you see the individual thing with um, Adam and Eve and Cain, you know, where he, he, does, he works with the individual and says, this is going to happen because as a consequence of your sin, I'm going to carry this out. But you also see community things, um, where they, um, you know, like Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, fire came down. There's, you know, a, a localized thing that way, but it also gets wider with the, the nation where Abraham uh, is to, promised in Genesis 15. He says, your people are going to go off into a foreign land. They're going to serve as slaves, but after 400 years, they're going to be set free, and they're going to plunder that nation. And that nation's going to pay for the way that they've treated your people. But so, you know, it's, it's, it's not just simple, but there's a complexity to what God does. And even the, the worldwide flood with Noah was, you know, everyone was included in that. So, so from early on, there's a, a demonstration of God's ability to meet the individual, to do this on a community level, to do it at a national level, and even worldwide. So it's not as if, you know, we, we say, he's a pretty complex being if he made all this. Well, his actions and his judgments have a complexity to them as well. Um, it's important to note that not all bad times are judgment. Um, you know, because we could get into that immediately and just say, whatever, this must be. God's punishing me for something, I just don't know what, you know, or that kind of thing. Um, but if you remember when Jesus healed the blind man in John chapter 9, um, the disciples asked, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus goes, neither. This is for the, this is for the glory of God. This man's going to be set free. So, you know, he's saying, there was no sin involved at the start of this, with this difficulty. Um, and then... Two, he also makes, Jesus makes note with the Tower of Siloam that apparently had collapsed and like 18 people died and there was all this question going, what had they done? You know, how evil were they? And Jesus goes, no, they're not any worse off than the rest of this group. You know, they didn't do anything worse. You know, it's not, that's not the reason. Um, there's an important thing to note when Solomon is praying and saying when, when difficulties and troubles come and we call out and you bring relief, he, he mentions disaster, 
the sword, judgment or pestilence and famine. So in some ways, he has set aside different things apart from the judgment of God and saying that they were, they, you know, there are times when they may be included in the judgment, but it isn't necessarily so. And I remember when New Orleans flooded and everybody was going, that vile city, yep. And others going, nope, God would not treat people that way. You know, and it was a big conflab, you know. And the truth is, none of us really knew exactly what was going on, right? There were dynamics we could see where God's hand was in it, and there were dynamics we could see both good and bad. And so, again, it, it, we can't be quick to rush to judgment and those kind of things simply because generally we don't know. Um, but that said, uh, when Ecclesiastes is dealing with the idea of facing God and standing before him, um, he says, he talks to young men and he says, yeah, you know, go enjoy life, have a good time, but know this, God's going to hold you to account, so just be aware. You know, it's like, go ahead and seek uh, the things that you'll seek in life, but be aware, there's a warning attached to this that you're going to have to give an account to God for all of this. Um, there is a temporal dynamic with judgment and an eternal. And that's something that um, we, we need to understand as well, that in this life there is interaction, but that doesn't necessarily place the full weight on what's in the future. So that um, in Corinthians, or uh, excuse me, when Moses was, uh, was denied going into the promised land because he had struck the rock, you know, he died without ever entering into the promised land. And yet, on the Mount of Transfiguration, you see God giving him a chance to stand on that land anyway. But that was in the eternal dimension. And so even though there had been a short-term effect for his sin, there was still the awareness that that God was, he was at peace with God and with the Lord. And that said, um, you know, we look at that and, and we recognize too that even for the saints, the New Testament church had the idea that some of our suffering is for the purification of our lives so that we are prepared for the judgment that we will face with the Lord. So Peter, when he's saying, you know, your suffering that you're doing now, just, you know, be aware that this is for your betterment in eternity. Um, just a, a couple more verses along this theme. Paul says in Corinthians, he says, When we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So he's saying some of the th events that come into our lives and some of the complications that we face are there so that we can be set free of things so that in regard to eternity, our lives are clean before the Lord. There's also statements made by Jesus and Matthew in regard to um, Sodom and Gomorrah and, and the cities that he's dealing with. And he's saying, there's going to be more tolerance for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for you guys. And he's saying, the Son of Man is here giving witness to the power of God and his salvation, and you're not receiving it. And so he's just saying, you had a clear declaration, and you haven't responded. And so 
he's saying Sodom and Gomorrah will have more, uh, more grace over them in, in that regard than you. And he also made the comment, he says, the men of Nineveh repented, and they're going to call out this generation. So he says, those that aren't responding now, he says, they, they made a change when they were called to repentance. Okay, let's move on. Jesus is the judge, okay? And in John 5, there's a fairly extensive teaching regarding that, and I'll just highlight some of it. John 5, 22, 23. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So he's saying he has a special role. He has a unique role. But being God's Son and coming to earth and participating in death for our salvation puts him unique to any other person that's ever lived. It puts him different than any other being or wise teacher or prophet or what, who, whoever you want to exalt. The declaration is made in the scripture that Jesus is unique from all everyone. And he says, our Father God, who, who has placed this authority on him, says that this authority is significant enough that if we don't receive him, we don't receive the Father. Let's move on in that same passage. He says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So here's the essence of our salvation. He's saying we do not have to face judgment with fear, because of the work of Jesus Christ in the world and, and our acceptance of his salvation and his dying for us. Moving on, he says, Truly I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and life to be had through Jesus Christ. Going on, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. And finally, in that same passage, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in their tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to live for the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So he's saying there is coming a day when all of us will be judged by how we've embraced the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. In John chapter 9, there's something that is very critical in regard to all of this. And Jesus says, For judgment I've come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. He was talking to the Pharisees and saying, Because you claim to see, you are not going to be innocent. You've claimed to have you know, your life put together, but you have yet to embrace the Son of God. And he says, that's not seeing. And so the, the critical issue for us is when we, when we think about life is to say, am I really seeing? Do I really, am I listening to what God is telling me? I, uh, I was thinking about that this week, and, and 
there's a tendency in each of us to excuse our own behavior, right? You know, it's just when I get angry, I just I blow up. That's all I can do. Have you ever asked God to let you see what that anger is doing and how you can do different? Or are you just excusing it and saying, it's not that big a deal. It's just, I'm wired this way. That's, that's the subtle difference as I see it. Or when we, uh, you know, we can, <laughs> in regard to, say, money, uh, we can either be tight-fisted or just spend into foolishness. And we can just say, well, that's just the way I am. You know, I, I, you know it's, it's the way God made me. Well, did he? Or have you asked him to show you how to do different? Have you asked him how to be wise with your finance? Have you asked for his wisdom as to how to spend? Those are, that's the subtle difference. Again, <laughs> we can get into it when we're, particularly in marriage, but we, one can say, I'm so detail-oriented, I just can't handle this. And the other can say, well, I, I was, I'm just naturally, well, we would never say, I'm not naturally a slob. We do say, I'm naturally not that, I, I, I live well with chaos. Well, really, have you asked the Lord to let you see different? Yeah, we went to meddling, didn't we? That's terrible. Those, the excusing of behavior is like a refusal to see. And it's critical when we catch glimpses to be able to say, Lord, how should I see? And if I'm blind, let my eyes be opened. Yeah, I'm just naturally shy. It's, you know, I know God wants us to witness of his glory to others that they might receive Christ. And, but, you know, I, 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 he, he made me shy, and, and I excuse myself. Have I asked him to give me the word that I need when it's needed? You know, that, all of those things, I think, are, are critical issues that we have, we have the right to ask the Lord to open our eyes that we might see and live as he wants so that we could stand before him with a clean heart, saying, you spoke, I responded. Ecclesiastes says, God will bring every deed into judgment, every secret thing, whether good or evil. 1 Timothy says, some deeds are conspicuous, some aren't, but they're all going to be opened up before the judgment. Paul, when he was walking through some of these issues, he says, I really don't care what you think. In his letter, he says that. He says, I really don't care what some human court says or really... He's saying, I don't care what society thinks. He says, it's not really even important what I think. 
It's the Lord who judges. And so, again, we take that and we go on. Doesn't really matter what the church thinks. Doesn't really matter what the culture or society thinks. Really doesn't even matter what we ourselves think. What's important is, what does God think about this issue? Thankfully, he sends the Holy Spirit to help us. It says, Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit in John 16. He says, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. He will bring truth to us. In Romans 8, it says, You, however, are not of the flesh, but of the Spirit. For in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So when we come to Christ and we are given new life in him, and his Spirit comes into our lives, it gives us the understanding and wisdom how to make the choices that are pleasing unto the Lord. That's what walking by the Spirit is all about. Let's go on. So we die, and then there's a judgment, according to Hebrews 9. And each of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due, what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Matthew 25, there's two parables and a teaching regarding the end. And uh, one is the parable of the ten virgins, where some gals are waiting for the bridegroom to come, and they would celebrate and go into a place together, and they'd have, they had lamplight. They didn't have a light switch, and so they would be prepared to go in and celebrate and bring a light with them. And uh, it says five prepared and, and five didn't. And so they were waiting, they got to be long, they got sleepy, and suddenly he's here, and the five that weren't ready, they ask the others, can we have something? You know, can you share with us? And they're going, we only have enough for ourselves. And then they go on and they go to find more oil and, and they don't get let in. They, they're too late. And, and I looked at that parable and well, what does that all mean? You know, it, I know we're supposed to prepare ourselves and be ready, but I think part of the picture of that is you can't live off of somebody else's oil or you can't live off of their testimony or their salvation. Each person is responsible to come prepared with their own, so to speak, and to be ready to enter into the presence of the Lord when he calls. And so you can't live off of your parents' reputation. You can't live off of a church's um, habit or whatever. But it, it, it comes down to a personal decision to prepare your life so that you're ready to meet the Lord. Um, Hebrews says, if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving a knowledge of the truth, there remains no sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment. Second Peter says the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment. So he says everything's going to be turned upside down, including creation. It's interesting to me that when we talk about even like a term like hell, 
there's a thing of, well, Jesus loves in it. You know who spoke about it the most? <laughs> Jesus. There's, in the English Standard Version, there's 14 mentions of the use of hell. Twelve of those come from Jesus. One from James, one from Peter. But 12 come from Jesus. So, you know, if you're going to argue the reality of it or not, you're taking on Jesus. You lose. Okay? <laughs> so, just be aware. In that same Matthew 25, there's the parable of the talents. And uh, the, the landowner gives five to one, two to another, one to another. And basically, he's saying, God has invested in each of us the capability of developing our lives in a way that's pleasing unto him and investing in such fashion that we have something bring to him and he's pleased with it. Now, how we perceive God has a lot to do with it because the one that two of the men responded great, invested, brought back, and, and received a reward. But the third one, it says, he says, I buried it in the ground because I knew that you were a harsh man and you take where you don't sow. And, you, and, and essentially he's saying, your identity was such that you're a harsh taskmaster and I didn't really choose to invest. And for me that says, how I view God has a lot to do with whether I'm investing in eternal life or not. If I see him as faithful and rewarding of those who diligently seek him, I'm certainly going to put my energy into eternity. If I see him as loving and caring and knowing that he would not short me or cut me off just because he had some whim or just decided, well, you know, we've got enough in here now. Let's just call it quits. That's not him. If I see him as loving and caring and faithful, then my investment into eternity is a good investment. And I know that it will yield. The final story in that particular passage is a separation, of, again, a picture of, of like a shepherd separating sheep and goats, which none of us has a clue how that works now, but it's, we get an idea, right? You know, pulling animals apart. But that said... Jesus says to some, he says, enter into my inheritance, prepared for you since the beginning of the world. In other words, this was part of the plan from the very beginning. And as much power as there is in creation and, and all that went into it, he says, this has as much planning as even creation. And what he says to them is, when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. When I was in prison, you went and visited me. When I was sick, you took care of me. All of those things that are so natural and doable that we're going, every single one of us can participate in acts like that. It's loving your neighbor as yourself, right? And... and and in that, he's saying that there is, it is not out of reach for any of us to participate in the acts that are pleasing unto the Lord. 
and we have the privilege of walking in that, it's all doable. I, uh, I look at that and I'm going, okay, that's kind of sobering because it means I can do it, but that also means I can't just let myself off the hook. You know, we, we as, as charismatics tend to put a lot of energy into achieving gifts so we can do great things. And, and it's wonderful in its place. But if we do that to the, the loss of loving others, we really have missed the boat. You know, it's, it often becomes more ego-driven than the actual caring for others. And it's, it's sobering to think that how, I, how well I love others is really the bigger picture in all of this. And that using the gifts for the benefit of others actually comes up under that large topic of how well I love. And so when we look at this, we're going, well, Lord, let me see. Let me see where my time and energy are going. Let me see how I need to respond. Give me eyes to understand and and see what's around and participate. 1 John 4.17 By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. We have this great hope and even confidence when we look at a topic like this and say, God, as long as I'm chasing you, as long as I'm listening for your voice, I can be at peace, confident knowing that I am within your care. And what is good for this life is also good for eternity. Praise to the Lord. We went through a lot today. I cut it down from seven pages to two and a half. (laughs) But it's still a significant topic. My prayer is that each of you faces eternity and develops the lifestyle that will stead you well for meeting with the Lord. All of us will stand before him. All of us on a personal level will have to give an accounting both for the things that others see and for the things they don't see. Because it will all be revealed. And in that moment, we have opportunity, if we have walked by the Spirit of God, to have a confidence that says, I was with you then, I will be with you now. Praise to the Lord. Would you stand with me? If you're not at peace with God now, you need to be. Okay? That's, that's the first step. And that can be easily taken care of. It isn't by working harder and doing, but it's the first step is embracing the work of the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive sin, to forgive our sin, and to set us free.
And then we allow that he has sent his Holy Spirit to teach us how to live and to walk out of the filth that is a part of every one of us and into the light of what he gives. So I'll pray with you. If you need help where you're saying, I need to make peace or I need to get this settled, then I'd like to pray with you or I'd like you to find someone that you trust and take care of that. Don't leave here without doing that. And if, you know, if you're one of the saints and you're just going, I have not been very careful to ask, then you need to, to, to ask God for what's available to you in him and just say, help me to see what, what needs to be seen. Okay? Father, we thank you that you give us this truth and you have had the scripture written for our benefit not for our destruction. That you desire that we would all be set free in you. Wash away our sin, we pray. Cleanse us from all guilt and evil that's a part of us. Through the blood and, and salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Send your Holy Spirit in us. In a powerful way, reveal our lives before you. Help us to see with your eyes. Help us to walk with confidence and peace, knowing that we've been set free in you. Thank you for the privilege of having it in this lifetime and in the future. For those that would be suffering as a result of um, your discipline and judgment, help them to walk through that with victory knowing that at the other side will yield a better fruit. Amen. When we look at a topic like judgment, there's awareness in our hearts that we want to do everything needful in this lifetime so that we can stand before God and hear, well done. But it also goes outward there's a certain horror that, that encompasses that when we look at family and friends and neighbors that have yet to know Christ and recognize that they too will stand before God and we have a responsibility to keep speaking. We don't always know what to say, but we can trust God to give us words and we, we have a responsibility to vocalize it whether it's received or not, we, we do not want to stand alone. We do desperately want those around us to participate. And so we keep speaking life. And we keep declaring the goodness of God. And we keep speaking of Jesus, our Savior. And we keep praying and saying, God, open the door. God, soften the heart. God, cause a turning. Let that happen, Lord. It's essential that we embrace this truth and walk in it and keep the declaration before. For some of you, it's important that you get prayer today. Do not walk away from this, okay? 
May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy what it is to walk in peace, confident of walking into eternity with you and hearing well done. Speak that into hearts even this morning. For those that would doubt whether you've set them free or not, speak well done, I pray. For those, Lord, that are on that edge and have been living, looking the wrong direction, I pray that they turn their eyes toward you. As each one goes into the community, I ask that you give them words of life to speak. I ask that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural, I ask. Amen. Lord, bless you. Remind you that there is a meal downstairs. What remains is open-ended worship. God bless you.